Hey, guys, we are continuing our series on the life of a disciple, right? And we talked about this. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there are qualities that God has commanded and demands for the people who call themselves followers of Jesus, right? There are people, there are qualities and commands and standards and boundaries that God has set aside for those who belong to his kingdom. And one of the things we talked about last time we, I was up here was that we talked about that wherever you are, you're called to be a peacemaker. That there is a hostility, whether you realize it or not, between you and God. There is a, 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 a divide, right, a, a dichotomy between you and God. And there's a hostility that exists there. And without peacemakers who come, who've been made, peace, who've been made at peace with God, you are called as sons and daughters, as people who are disciples, to go out there and be peacemakers in wherever you do, in whatever field you are, whatever job you have. Your job does not define you. You are there for the one purpose of being a peacemaker, which is what? Is building this bridge between God and others. Are you doing that, church? Are we doing that as believers? Are we doing that as Christians, are we doing that as sons and daughters? Or are we merely trying our best to blend in to life because we're so distracted by the world around us? We're just trying to make it, right, as best we can. And once in a while, if we have time and if it's convenient to us, we will think about being peacemakers. When I talk about peacemakers, I'm talking about you sharing about who Jesus Christ is in the life of others. But today we're going to talk about something different. Today we're talking about Salt and light, salt and light. Have you ever um, lived your life when you start something new, you, you started with this idealistic um, mindset? You're very, it's the ideal, right? You're about to, you're, you're graduating high school, you just walked, got your diploma, your parents were there, everything was great. And you're thinking about college, you're thinking about all the stuff you're going to experience, people you're going to meet, things you're going to do. And you're just thinking how ideal, how wonderful, how beautiful this new experience is going to be for you. And then you get to college, and what do you happen? You went from optimism, and slowly, 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 you jump down to pessimism, right? I got to do what in college? I have to study, right? I'm going behind. I got to find my internship. I got to worry about my future. It becomes this optimism, becomes this pessimism. And so what do you do? You find something new to be optimistic about. You turn to your work. You're thinking that once I get out of college, the ideal is I'm going to find a job that's going to make impact, whatever that means, right? right? I'm going to make impact. I'm going to make purpose. It's going to do something great for the world around me. And so here you are. You're about to start work, and you're thinking, here is the ideal job. I can't wait. I can't believe what I got this position. And then you start working at it. You start seeing the politics behind it. You start seeing the things that people do. You start seeing the way people act. And all of a sudden, optimism, again, degrades and disintegrates down to pessimism. It's like, this is what I signed up for? This is all there is to it? What is this? Right? And so what do you do? You find something new to be optimistic about. It's like, what, well, what if, I, what if I get into a relationship? Wouldn't that be nice? The ideal relationship, the guy, the girl, the perfect marriage, everything will be great. I will ha- we'll, be, we'll travel the world together. We'll bust out kids in five or six years. We'll have a nice place of our own or not, you know, however. But there's an ideal 
to the mind that we have about relationship. And then what happens when you get into a relationship? Optimism afterwards starts to disintegrate down into pessimism. Does it not? When you're like, dude, this guy is not what I thought. Maybe after a year, you're like, this, he's not as caring or as, uh, or, or as thoughtful as I thought he was. Or she is like, you know, she's a lot more controlling than I thought she ought to be, you know. Things were pretty cool in the beginning when she was kind of free-spirited. But now everything I do is just like pinpointing like, hey, you can't do that. So it becomes pessimistic. But you're thinking to yourself, well, what if we get married? Because married is next optimistic ideal sense, right? So if we get married, everything's going to be great because now, look at us, now we're going to actually build a life together. We're going to do something amazing together. We're going to bind ourselves together. And so here we are. You begin this optimistic picture of a relationship in marriage, and then you get married, and you realize all the stuff that you were pessimistic about in the relationship as a boyfriend and girlfriend, it just magnifies in your marriage. Like, he is lazy, right? I thought he was lazy then, but he's even lazier now. Oh, she is controlling. I thought she was controlling then. Now I can't even leave the house every weekend. At least when I was in a relationship, I didn't see her every weekend. But now I have to see her every weekend and I can't leave, right? And so this optimism disintegrates into pessimism. Yes, follow me, right? And that's, that's, that's the reality in which we live. But we always start with this picture of idealism. Do you know where that came from? In the 1700s, right, the Enlightenment came along and said that human beings, with the use of your reason, can always get better, can always become better. If we have the science, if we have the education, if we have the will, if we have our reasons, we can make this world a better place as long as we try, as long as we continue. The Enlightenment hits, and, and then the Enlightenment looks at the the cultural paradigm before, which was the Christian worldview that was prevalent in the Western civilization back then, right? The Enlightenment looked at that Christian worldview and said, you guys talk about sin. That lowers my self-esteem. I'm not a bad person innately, right? You talk about, you talk about authority, that God's word is the authority. That, that hinders my creativity. And so the Enlightenment takes sin and authority, throws it out the window and says, all we need is education, science, and that itself will get us to a better and better world. And every year we come up with new ideologies that helps us get there. But look at us where we are now, right? We don't trust the government because they seem to oppress us. We don't trust our politicians because they are a bunch of crooks. We don't even trust our so-called experts because they lie or they twist it. We don't trust our media because they spin the truth into fiction. We don't trust our church because it's backwards and judgmental. The result has not been greater optimism but more pessimism. You guys follow me? Right? It hasn't been greater optimism. It's been more pessimism in, in the world. And this is the reason why. The reason why is we were created by a maker. We were created by a designer who set into motion the ideal. And he wanted it to be ideal. And in, in jumps us with our desire to say, I want to declare what is ideal. I want to make the shots. I want to call it. And so when we begin to call the shots, we took what was ideal and beautiful and glorious and wonderful and 
over time, as we called the shots, it disintegrated over and over into the reality that we see now. But here's a beautiful picture. Jesus and what God is doing is that he does not leave us in the reality of our pits. In the depths of our despair and our destructions and our depressions and our anxiety and our brokenness. He doesn't leave us there. What does he do? In our disintegration into this reality that we have, he steps, he brings in Jesus Christ who is reality, who is is ideal, into reality to bring us back to the ideal. You get me? Future, work, career, relationship, marriage, it will not reach the ideal without God in there, is what I'm trying to say today. It will not reach the ideal that which you hope and wish for it if God is not in this picture. Your relationship will continue to disintegrate. Think about how hard you have to work to put a relationship together. If you let the relationship go, it's going to disintegrate, does it not? And yet if you are willing for a moment to trust in what the word of God has to say about relationships and marriage and the institution of marriage, and you're willing to step into that with faith and say, you know what, God, I don't know what marriage looked like. I don't know what's going on. Let me trust you who made the institution of marriage. Let me let you engage in this, that you'll be a part of this, and let's see where that goes. And what happens is that this ideal that we had, when it disintegrates into the reality in which we experience and then infused now with the beauty, the glory of, of God's truth and God's presence and Jesus' presence, what happens is that brings it back to the ideal as we're moving towards that again. This passage that we're about to look at today is this. It's going to talk about this decay. It's going to talk about how there is something in this world or outside of this world that's, not, that's going to help it and fix it and actually bring life to it. And that you, in Jesus Christ, can be that salt and light. So first we're going to see the world is subject to decay. It's broken. Secondly, we're going to see that there is a salt and light from outside that can save it. And thirdly, what we're going to see is if you associate yourself with Jesus, you become that salt and that light to this world. Okay? That's my argument today. So if you can open your Bibles to Matthew 5, 13 to 16. We're going to get into that today. Matthew 5, 13 to 16. Open your Bibles with me. Let me read this to you guys. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The world is subject to decay. I need you guys to understand this reality. Sometimes I don't think we think further enough or big enough or actually to the end point that we don't actually see this reality. The world is subject to decay. Without salt and light, things fall apart. Salt in the, uh, the Middle Eastern time or Near East uh, back then was used as a preservative. They didn't have refrigerators. So every time you would butcher a cow, butcher a goat, butcher a lamb, well, what they would do? They would just salt that mug like crazy. They would just cover it up because that was the only way to preserve the meat right after you cut it. Light has the same kind of effect. 
The light that Jesus was talking about was not electricity, right? It was a lamp with a little wick surrounded by fat, okay? And when you're in total darkness, when you're in total dark, the to- uh, uh, like complete darkness, what happens is that it gives you unbelievable sense of vertical and dizziness. Don't you guys know that? I remember when, I, when we used to drive to Arizona, right? You guys, have you guys ever been to Arizona? I do this game all, uh, all the time. It's not a fun game, but it's how we wake up, okay? So we're driving straight. It's middle of the night, okay? We're just, everyone's getting tired, but it's a straight road. We know it's a straight road, okay? But there's no street lamps. There's no, like, you know, uh, blinkers. There's no um, those reflective things, right? None of that, okay? And moon's not out. It's just a straight, dark road with just your car, right? And so one of times when we fall asleep, we'll just play this game. Me and the front seat driver will be like, all right, I'm going to turn off all the lights and see how far we go before we panic, right? Right? And he's like, are you sure that's a good game? I was like, dude, it's just a straight line. He's like, you're right. It's just a straight line. We know it's a straight line. There's no, there's no turns. It's a straight line. And so we go, ready? Ready. One, because, you know, again, everyone's falling asleep behind. All them, you know, people are supposed to keep us up. Nope, they all fell asleep. So it's just me and, the, me and our you know, me and, uh, shotgun. Like, ready, one, two, three, turns off. And then we just sit there, and it's total darkness. We just see the car moving, and there's nothing out there. And we're like, oh, my gosh, right? And I promise you, I've never lasted more than 10 seconds, right? I think the longest I went was like five before I freaked out. I was like, okay, never mind, turn it back on, right? And he's like, dude. I remember my, one of my shotgun guys was like, dude, why is that so scary? I said, I don't know, bro. Like, <laughs> like what do you think is going to pop? I said, like, I don't know. Like, why are we always so freaked out about it? I was like, I have no idea. So we tried it again. I said, like, let's go see if we can beat our time. Because that's how guys do it. We're just dumb like that, right? Like, all right. Three, three seconds go four this time. So we turn it off, we go, right? And then when four seconds, our heart's already pumping. Like, why is it so scary? We turn it back on. Because in total darkness, there's this dizziness and this vertical that you experience, right? And what Jesus is saying is that unless there is salt and unless there is light in the human world, left to itself, we will go into a greater and greater disorder and disintegration. What is life without salt and light? I think you guys understand this. Physically, you understand this. All you science you know, nerds out there, right? Physically, you understand this. All life physically eventually decay. Does it not? Some does it slower than the other, but eventually your body will be broken down to its, you know, flesh and bones and, and will be disintegrated. Eventually, your molecules will be broken apart. Eventually, you itself will disintegrate and fall apart. Scientifically, we understand this. The universe is slowing down. Second law of thermodynamics, right? Eventually, the sun will burn out. Everything will Cease to exist. We're going to absolute zero. Okay? Physically, we understand the world is decaying. Relationally, things fall apart. Does it not? I think you guys understand that too. Our relationship tends to go bad. Right? Only with the greatest effort can you keep a relationship together. Right? That's why you know, you know that when you, when you put a bunch of different races into a room, right, and they're not trying their best, to work together, and you just let them be after a while, right? What happens? What happens? What, what, do you, what do you begin to see? You begin to see misunderstanding, resentment, right? You begin to see, like, uh, division, obstruction. You guys know this, all you ladies? You've been to nail salons, right? How many times? Oh, yeah, she's well, been to me. So anyways, most of us have been to me. But, you know, you go to nail salon, they start speaking stuff on you, right? All the ladies, they start speaking smack on the other people, right, all the time, right? Different, they're not, like, working together here. Right? When you put people together, what happens is tends to disintegrate into chaos. There's a brokenness of relationship unless you begin to actually work at it. Misunderstanding happens. Look at marriage. Look at marriage. 
When you don't work at your marriage, you don't actually do the hard work of putting your marriage together, what happens? You get days when you don't even talk to your spouse because you're so mad at them. There's the silent treatment that you put up always, right? Marriage can unravel if you don't work at it. Things decay. Things in the social sphere decay if you don't work towards putting things together. So my point here is this. Jesus is saying the world is subject to decay, right? Psychologically, we understood this, right? 2020, what do we see? You know, we have, we have a therapist in our church, and he said to me the other day, he's like, you know, out of all the fields that I thought would actually be the most busy, I never imagined it to be therapy during uh, 2020 COVID season. And he was in child therapy, right? He, he said, I had never imagined out of all the fields that was going to be the most busy during COVID season, the one field that had nothing to do with the, with, with the virus was therapy. Because psychologically, when we are not seeking to work things together, left alone, what happens? There's a disintegration that happens. Yes, follow me, right? Think about your life when you were alone. Think about your Christian walk when you were alone. This past year, without community, without people, wasn't it difficult? Didn't you find yourself feeling yourself further and further away from God, disintegrating social interaction? Wasn't it harder to come back and actually start talking to people? And what Jesus is saying here is this, okay? If the world, if, if the world is left to itself, it will decay, disintegrate, break into chaos. Right? You guys have ever heard Lord of, um, Lord of the Flies? Lord of the Flies, right? Lord of the Flies was this story about a bunch of young boys being caught on an island. Right? And after a while, what did they end up doing? Right? Did they work together? Did they kind of bond it together? Became like, you know, like, hey, I got your back. You got my back. Let's work together to get off this island. No. They disintegrated into chaos after a while. Right? The, the author was writing the storyline to, to, to give a vision of the reality of the human spirit. And the heart of Lord of Light, at the end of it, was that, that kid being killed, right? The, the, the one that couldn't run away, the, the, the big one, right? He ended up being killed. You guys ever read Lord of the Flies? You guys read anymore? Yeah? Okay, anyways, right? That's the heart of it. And Jesus is saying, unless there is a salt, unless there is a light coming into this world, to preserve it, to shine light upon it, it will disintegrate. It will fall apart. Disorder will happen. You will find yourself in this vertical. You will find yourself slipping into chaos unless there is a salt and a light. But here's the problem. If this world is all there is to it, if the world is all there is, if there's nothing out there, if there's nothing more than this, if there is no salt and no light out from outside, then everything that you do, everything that goes on in nature has no hope. It is utter meaningless. I do this um, experiment with my SAT kids, right? So I do boot camp now in the summer. I usually don't do boot camp anymore because I'm busy during the summer, but this year my boss begged me, right? So I came back to do boot camp with them. And so usually I'm not afraid of being fired anymore because, you know, I don't really need the job, but I just do it because I love them, right? And so I, I'm there. <laughs> That's the truth, right? I do it because I love them. And then so I'm there, and so I, I tell them, like, look, I'm going to teach the SATs, but I'm going to just do it my way. Is that okay? He's like, whatever you like. 
and whatever you like from your teacher. I said, okay, right? So usually during the class, I spend like the first 15 minutes just asking them random questions about life. So I asked them this question the other day. I asked them, hey, what is your biggest fear that would happen to humanity, right? I, want, I wanted to hear a Gen Z approach, right, from it. I wanted to, tell me what is your biggest fear that would happen, okay? And they're saying like, oh, my biggest fear is that we will kill each other, that we will end up like... Um, destroying each other. Someone would say global climate will happen, you know. Others would say nuclear war. And I'm like, oh, so you're really afraid that we would actually just end up hurting one another ultimately. Yeah. And I said, why? I said, what do you mean why? Isn't that obvious? Doesn't explain itself? We shouldn't hurt each other? Yeah, but why? Why is that a fear that you have? I said, well, I love, it, would, it would take away everything I love, like my family, like my my computer, like my video games. It will take away all the things that I enjoy in life. Beauty, civility, culture, art. It will take all those things away, right? I said, well, okay, that's, that's, that's fair. That's a very fair statement. But if nature is all there is, okay, then isn't all those things just meaningless anyways? And they're like, I said, have you ever thought about that? I just asked them, have you ever thought about that? If this is all there is, and we're already moving towards decay. That ultimately everything you do, if nature, if nature is all there is, isn't everything you're doing just meaningless anyways? Your desire for love, isn't love just a chemical reaction to get you to procreate more? Your, 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 your sense of beauty, what is beauty, right? How does beauty even work towards evolution, right? Civility, why? Culture, who cares? Isn't this all just meaningless anyways? And they said, no. I, they're like, no, that doesn't make sense. You know, telling each other, like, well, tell me. It's like, music is wonderful. I, said, I know music is wonderful. Beauty is wonderful. I, I, I agree, right? But why do you think all those things are beautiful and wonderful? It's because like, I just do. I said, that's your problem. Right? Your problem is you live on borrowed capital. You live as if love, beauty, civility, culture, art is wonderful, is lovely, but you live with it believing without even, you live and borrow capital because you live as if there is something more outside bringing beauty, love, culture into this world, but you live not to actually acknowledge it. He said, what do you mean? I know why there's love and beauty. I think there's something bigger than just nature. What about you? That's how I usually end it. I say, okay, now it's math time, guys. And they'll just sit there, right? So my question that we come up to the thing is this. Do you guys realize that? That this world is break. Just look at your personal life. Look at your family. Look at your relationships or the multiples of relationships you've been on. Look at your work life. Look at the things that you start off thinking so optimistically about and now turning very pessimistic about. If Jesus was not in that part of it, you continue to dive into pessimism. And you know why I know this? Because I see this a lot in the church. People will look at the church and they say, you know what? I love what you guys are doing. I want to be a part of that. Can I be a part of serving, be a part of the leaderships? Can I see what's happening? I said, you know, I think once you start seeing the inner workings of our church, you might not be as thrilled about it as you like, you know. The thing that, that, that works, the thing that it goes together, I really believe it's just by grace. We, I have no idea why this works at all, right? The only thing I have is Jesus. If Jesus was not in part of everyone working together with Jesus in mind, I'm pretty sure we would disintegrate into nothingness, right? 
But here's the thing. Here's the thing. There are so many people who jump into the community of church and serve with the optimistic idea that, oh, man, I'm belonging to a great community. I'm doing great things. But then they see the politics of church, which there's politics everywhere. But they don't see Jesus. They see the, they see the fight between people, but they don't see Jesus. They see, the, they see the, the, the unforgiveness between people, but they don't see Jesus in that. And when they don't see Jesus in that, all they begin to have in their head is critical spirit, resentment, bitterness. And they leave the church thinking, man, that place was horrible. Obviously, because you didn't put Jesus in there. You went from an ideal um, understanding to reality. And reality tells us what? It's going to get worse for you. Unless there's something more to bring salt into light into that place. You guys get me? The church does not survive without salt and light. The world does not survive without salt and light. Your relationship will not survive without salt and light. The way you view your career will not survive without salt and light. The way you deal with your children will not survive without salt and light. There must be something more than the nature way in which you have conducted your life up to this point. Otherwise, everything you do is borrow capital. You live as if there is a God, but you do not acknowledge this God. And so what Jesus is saying in this passage is this. There is a salt and light from outside. There is something from outside in here coming in. And Jesus is saying, I am that light. And John chapter 8, Jesus says, John chapter 8, actually, I heard Peter teaching my kid today. John chapter 8, right? I am the light of the world, 8 verse 12. I was like, listen to it. I was like, oh, hey. Actually, that was last week's message, right? He told me that was last week's message. Anyways, he says, I am the light of the world. Therefore, you should go and let your light shine before men as well. Jesus comes in and he says, I am the light. You're not the light. You hold the light. I am the one light that comes in. What does that mean when he says, I am the light? Jesus is saying that when he says, I am the light, he's saying, I'm the truth. I'm the truth that illuminates things around you. I bring things that are hidden into reality. Jesus is declaring... Absolutely, by the way, he is declaring absolutely that you will never understand truth unless there is me in there. You will never understand why racism is wrong unless you come back to the foundation that all man is made in the image of who? Me, God. You will never understand that. You will say, yeah, racism is wrong, but the foundation for which you declare that has no bearings unless it goes back to something outside of this world, right? When Jesus says, I am the light, he's saying what? I am gloriously good. I cannot lie. I cannot do evil. I am beautiful, right? This is what it means to be light. It is perfection. It is wonder. It is beauty. And this is what Jesus says when he says, I am the light. And, he, and it, you, you, you might be looking at this passage and say, I don't see Jesus saying he's the light. He's saying you are the light. But what he's absolutely saying is, he's implying this. The only way that you can be the light is if someone has to light you up. You guys get me? You're just, you're just a lamp. You're just, you're just a wicker surrounded by fat. You're nothing unless the light comes in and actually illuminates you. And so Jesus says, I am that light. I am the true guide. I am the way. You see the world by me and by me alone. And so what Jesus is declaring is that he is the only way. And I know a lot of you guys are thinking this. Check, check it out real fast. Right? I know you guys are saying, I don't like that, PT. I don't like to understand that how narrow-minded, how absolute is that, that you would say that Jesus Christ would be the only way. 
Jesus doesn't give us a second option. He says either I am the light or I'm not the light. That's it. There's no light in between here. We live in a very Western civilization, in a very relativist time. What we're, we're understanding is this. I think there's many ways to God. I think there's many paths to God. I think that we don't have to, you know, commit, which is a big problem for our generation, right? I don't have to, we don't have to commit to one when there's so many options out there. Any option will lead you to something divine and truthful. Do you know what you're saying there to me? Do you know what you're saying there? What you're really saying to me is this. You're saying your comment, Tony, the way you're thinking about the reality of the world, that Jesus is the only way, I don't like that. Actually, you should think the way I think of the world. The way I think of the world is every one of these ways leads to God. And that's the way you should think about the world. See, it's, it's just what you're doing is not, you're not trying to be more inclusive here. You're just as exclusive. You're just as exclusive in the way you're thinking. I'm declaring there's only one way. And you're saying, I don't like the way you think. It comes too, it's too old-fashioned. But you're saying, the way I think is more modern. Exactly. You come from a modern time. So what makes your way more right than my way? Jesus is saying this, and this is my declaration. This is, this is really me sharing with, with uh, the disciples of Jesus here. If you call yourself a Christian, I'm going to ask you this question very simple, right? Is Jesus really in your life? Is Jesus really in your life? Has he really converted your heart? Because think of the way you think about your marriage and your relationship with your, your girlfriend and your boyfriend, Right? If Jesus is in the middle of that relationship and he is center of that relationship, how hard is it to bring them out if that's important? I'm not even talking about bringing them out to church here. But just to, get, to come to a place of encountering God. If you can't bring your girlfriend, you can't, you're not going to bring your wife. That ain't going to change. Look at your career. Is Jesus really the light? In you? Because that should affect your career, would it not? It should affect the way you see college. I tell the youth group kids all the time, because always, I always ask them, what's your prayer request? What's their number one prayer request? Pray for my finals. Pray for my tests, it's coming up. I said, how many tests do you guys have? Pray for it, it's coming up. And I always tell them like this. I will pray for your final, gladly. I, I will be on my knees begging the Lord, please, for your finals. Gladly, if Jesus Christ is actually in your studies. Why do you study? What's the purpose behind it? What's your, what's your end goal? What's the reasoning? Because if you tell me it's all about getting to college, getting a job, getting, it's just going to disintegrate every time you go through it. What is your end goal? What is God's vision in your life? Why are you studying? Why are you putting yourself in a position that is going to be of use for? Have God spoken into your heart for something bigger or are you just merely living for yourself? Because if I pray for you while you're just living for yourself, God's not going to answer such a prayer. Because God's only in the business of his business. Right? So God said, I have a plan. I have a goal. I have a trajectory. I have called people to move with me in that trajectory. 
And here you are using this capital, wanting something good out of it, but you're going the opposite way. So it, would be, it would be worse for me to answer your prayer. You guys follow me? Jesus is saying this. We're all in a, in a season. We, we live in a world that is disintegrating, is in disorder. It's in decay. There is something more to this world that is to salt and the light to bless it and to change it and to bring the reality, the broken reality into something more beautiful. There is something like that. And Jesus says, I am that. Right? And here's the last point here. Jesus is saying in this passage, look at verse um, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You and I can be the salt and light if we relate to Jesus. He's saying salt and light exposes decay and exposes darkness. He's saying if you're light, and I'm going to ask you some really hard questions in a second here, guys. Okay? I'm not saying this to, to, to be mean. I'm not saying this to be true. I'm, I'm saying this to be realistic. I'm asking you guys to ask some real hard questions into your life. Because if you're light, because he's saying you are light. If you're light, your light should be so beautiful that it shows up things for what they truly are. If you are the light that radiates his goodness, his beauty to the world around you, your light should be so beautiful that it should reveal the things for what they truly are. If you are a Christian, then just by your presence and wherever you step foot, it should bring flourishing to that place. You guys follow me? If you are a Christian, your mere presence brings light to that place. And I say this to brothers all the time. Your number one role as head of house or head, you know, as, as headship is that you bring flourishing wherever you step. You bring flourishing to your home. You bring flourishing to your work. You bring flourishing to your church. Your mere presence in the church, in your work, in your home should be a place where they are saying, I'm so glad so-and-so is here. I'm so glad their presence is here. I'm so glad they're stepping into work today. I'm so glad they have the shift. I'm so glad they're manning the church stuff. I'm so glad my husband is home. I'm so glad my father is here. It should never be the opposite way. It should never be, oh, daddy's home. You guys, tiptoe, eggshells, he's coming home. He's mad. He just had work. It shouldn't be, oh, husband's home. I got to make sure everything's okay, right? Beer is ready, TV's on, right? We're here to serve him, not us, right? Some of you are like, yeah, what? How'd you know, PT? Because I salt them, right? 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 <laughs> right? Some of you guys, when you, when, you go to, when you go to church, when you, go, when you step foot in church, do you, do you just blend into church, brothers, sisters? Do you, do you just merely blend into church? Or should your mere presence be here? I'm so glad so-and-so is here. Every time they hear it, they show me what it looks like to be a father. They show me what it looks like to be a mother. They show me what it looks like to be a husband. They show me what it looks like to be a wife. They show me what it looks like to have a career that's a blessing. They show me how to actually be passionate about what I do. I'm so glad so-and-so shows up to church. I'm so, I'm so glad this person is our leader. Because every time they lead, I don't have to worry. I can follow in their footsteps. Do you bring flourishing? Because Jesus says you are the salt and the light. Check your heart, guys. Salt and light brings reality to darkness and decay. Exposes it. That means what? 
That means when you're in your work, you should be exposing the fact that you're there, dishonesty. It should come out, right? You shouldn't be blending in with dishonesty of your business. You should be able like, wait, hold on. Is that what we really do? Is that, is that right? There should be some moral compass to your heart that brings that forth, does it not? Because you are light. It should be that when you're in the office and there's gossip and you're talking about somebody behind their back. It's like, hey, do we do that? Like, do you guys do that about me? Like, is that something that we do often here? Is this, is this a natural occurrence? Do you expose that? Does it come out in your life? You are the salt and you are the light. Does it racism in your neighborhood? Does that happen when you're in there? Are you, are you part of the, 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 the answer? Do you expose it because your presence is there and you know exactly that that type of language or that type of attitude or that type of action is not conducive for the well-being of the other brother or the other sister? Do you expose that by your mere presence? Do you show corruption? How about when you're in a relationship at home? When you're with your husband, your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend. Does your life act as salt and light? Jesus is saying our light should expose decay and darkness. It should be so beautiful that it shows up things for what they truly are. Right? It should be so, it's, it's like that. It's like you're walking through a dark tunnel. And you have no idea what you look like or how, how bad things are. But you're walking. And, you know, it's dark, so you can't really see anything. But as you're getting closer to the end of the tunnel, there's light shining in. And it begins to illuminate the things around you. And as you're walking towards it, you begin to realize, oh, man, I'm actually kind of dirty. You know, you start wiping things off. You're like, oh, I, I didn't think I was that bad. But I'm actually kind of, actually a little more filthy than I expected. And you walk closer to the light. And the more close you get to the light, the more you begin to realize Dude, I am really bad. It's everywhere. And when you're ex completely in the light, it exposes everything. Are you the light that's so beautiful that it exposes things for what they truly are? Jesus is saying that's what light does. That's what salt does. But here's the second thing. Your good deeds. Okay? Oh, no. Yo, so the second thing is you bring joy to people. See, salt is not just a preservative, yes? Not, it, it isn't just preserved things. Salt also what? Enhances food, right? Salt enhances the taste of food. It brings out the taste. Jesus is saying, he's saying to be salt and light also means you're going to, it means that you're not just going to be a wet blanket. You guys met Christians like that? That all they do is just kind of complain about everything? You met Christians like that? All they do is like, oh, this is bad. Oh, this is wrong. Oh, you, you have an issue. I've talked to so many people, and they, they believe the exact same thing, right? You're doing a bad job, right? And, you know, exposing, probably you might be doing a bad job, right? But you ever met a Christian like that? That's all they do is just talk and expose, but they don't bring any joy to your life by their presence. You, every time they walk close to you, you just kind of walk the other way, right? Because you're thinking, I don't know what they're going to say. I don't want to hear it. I'm just going to go the other way, right? You ever met people like that, right? Are you a person like that? On one hand, yes, 
Your light and your saltiness can shine through corruption and evil. And when that happens, guess what? You're going to get persecuted. When that happens, people are going to look down on you. When that happens, they're going to get mad at you. When you shine light into your marriage, your spouse is going to be upset with you. Y'all get me? Right? So many times my wife would be like, you sure you're the pastor? That's it. That's all she has to say. And I'll be like, I'm sorry. Sorry. Right? Sorry. Because the reality is what? When you shine light, it exposes. First, my pride is hurt. It's like, dang, why she got to call me out like that? Right? But truth is truth. It does hurt. And I do at a point like, you know what? I'm not going to talk to you right now. And then, you know, eventually I have to come back because we live together. Right? But you're going you're gonna to get, you're going to get the cold shoulder. You're going to get that stigma. Right? You're going to get that thing. You're like, I don't think we can be dishonest around so-and-so. <laughs> They're too honest, man. Right? We got to do it out at least behind their back or something. Okay? On one hand, yes, by exposing, by being beautiful, by being exposing truth and dishonesty and corruption and evil for what it is, you're going to have people pointing fingers, looking over their shoulders, looking at you, being upset with you, being angry with you. But at the same time, you are also the joy of that, of that particular group. You are the stability in your neighborhood. You're the glue in your office. Because a Christian doesn't just sit and say, what can I get out of this situation? They don't just come to a job and say to themselves, what can I get out of it? The money, the benefits, the perks? That's not what a Christian does. A Christian walks into it and says, what can I do to make this place better? A Christian doesn't walk into a marriage and say, what can this wife or this husband do to make my life better? But a Christian walks into that marriage and says, hey, what can I do to make your life better? A Christian doesn't just walk into church and say, church, what can you offer me? Teaching, food, perks, <laughs> none of these things actually, right? You ask the question, what can I do to make this place better? You're here to serve. How many times have I heard community and people say, you know, I'm not getting much out of church. It's not really fitting my, you know, the way I like it. Well, I'm sorry, church is not about you getting what you want. It's about you giving what Christ has given to you. See, when you live like that in the community, you know what you become? You become the glue for that community. You become the rock for that community. You become the blessing for that community. You become the someone that people look to and say, you know what? I'm so glad so-and-so is here. I'm so glad they're in charge of the budget. I'm so glad they're in charge of our children. I'm so glad they're here serving us. Because they're not in it for themselves. But how many times do you know people like, you know, I'm, oh, man, so-and-so is here. Like, what, what, what do they want this time? Right? How can they nickel and diamonds this time? Like, I have nothing else to offer. I'm scared. Like, I don't want to talk to them because I, I know they're going to get something. They want something. See, on one hand, Christian, you're supposed to be so beautiful with your light that you expose darkness, corruption, evil. But at the same time, on the other hand, you're supposed to be the salt that brings life and joy and, 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 and taste and, and, and beauty and wonders to those around you. Your presence should be a glue. It should be a joy. It should be a place where people are like, yes, I want them there. Yes, I can't wait for them to be there. You guys get me? It's not... It's not just about coming 
and receiving. See, the reason why, church, Christians, disciples, right, the reason why we mess up sometimes, we have it backwards. We forget. You're supposed to be a light to those around you. You're not supposed to take from those around you. That's the teaching of the church. You guys know that? That is the very reality of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. He didn't come to this world and say, what can you do for me? He didn't come to this world and say, where is my worship that is mine? He could have. He should have. He deserves it. He didn't come into the world forcing, enslaving, and pushing, and punishing those who did not do what he wanted. He came into the world and he said this, how can I make this place better? I will die for it. I will lay down my life for it. I will pour everything I have, for even for those who do not even want me. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came to serve. And in serving, he brought flourishing. Did he not? In his resurrection, we are here. Think about this. All you brothers, we have father wounds. Do we not? Right? Our fathers messed up somewhere along the way. They're not perfect. They did their best, but most of the time they messed up. Right? We all have father wounds. I'm sure a lot of you ladies definitely have father wounds. Right? We all have father wounds. Why? All of a sudden they took. They take. They didn't offer. They didn't give. They didn't learn to bring flourishing. But you can change that. You can change it not by your own strength or your willpower or not because of your reasoning. You change that because there's this greater power outside of you working in your life, giving you the light to make changes. You have a greater power. You're not living with the culture of our day. You, see, I'm not, when, I, when, I, when, when people, they think about what it means to be a man. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm preaching from the kids uh, for the boys club here, okay? All right. When, you, when people talk about what it means to be a man, they have this impression that you got to be somehow rich. You got to be somehow big. You got to be somehow strong. It's not about how big the dog is in the fight, right? It's about how what? How big the fight is in the dog. It's about who you are on the inside. It's what has changed your heart. It's about what has been done to you. You can be the smallest, poorest person, but you can be the one who actually makes the biggest change. Why? Because you're not doing it with your own natural power. Your natural power will disintegrate. Sooner or later, there's going to be someone stronger who's going to overtake you. The young buck will beat the old buck one day, right? But the one with true character, the one with true power from the inside is one who has called God his father, who has allowed God to work in his life, to be salt in life, who has changed his heart in such a way that you become a vessel that serves, not a vessel that takes. That is the problem in our church and in our world today. We live in a world that seeks to take all the time. Even the good that we do, we do it because we want some claim, acclamation, or affirmation from it. Jesus Christ never came for affirmation. He came to serve. And so in the same way, if you are the salt and if you are the light of this world, you are here to bring blessing and flourishing. Your presence should be a joy. And it should also expose corruption, decay, darkness. So my question for you as we end this is, are you the light of the world? 
Because the quality of the sons and daughters who are a part of my kingdom is that, look at verse 13, absolute statement. You are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. If you belong to me, Jesus says, if you are mine, if you call me your Lord, if I am your father, then you are part of my kingdom and therefore you are the salt and you are the light. The question is, are you? Are you? Are you bringing beauty to the world around you? Are you bringing light? Is there joy? Are you exposing? Let me tell you the truth here. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. When he came down, what happened? You guys remember the story? When he came down, 40 days and 40 nights up in the mountain with God. He came down. He was so beautiful. He was so glorious. Everyone said, cover your face, bro. I can't handle it. Right? You think five minutes a day with God is going to get you to a place where you radiate God's glory and beauty? You think five minutes a day is going to get you to a place where you radiate beauty, you extend and understand truth to expose it? No, guys. There's got to be more time than that. So my question today is, are you the light? Think about it. Are you the light in your work? Are you the light in your home? Are you the light in your church? Do you understand what Christ has done for you? Because if you don't understand that, see, if, if, let's just start there. If Jesus Christ is not who he says he is, then go ahead. Go on living in the natural world that decays and is end up ultimately meaningless and live up borrowed capital. But you, don't, you know it's not true. You know there's something more to life because you live as if there's something more to life. So if there is something, if Jesus Christ is who he says he is, Have you been lit? Are you a light? Or are you a mere wicker surrounded by fat that blends in? 